Hey everybody. So it's Sunday, February 20th. And I just watched the Daytona 500. So I watch one NASCAR race a year. I used to watch more when I lived in North Carolina, but I like to watch the big events of everything. So I'll watch a little, I don't watch any hockey, but I'll watch some of the Stanley Cup. And whatever the sport is, I like to see their biggest race. So I think Daytona is pretty cool. But So I'm watching it, and it took forever. Bunch of wrecks near the end. The last four laps seemed like it took an hour. But anyway, it's building up to this big finish. There's like 20 racers, all with a chance to win. And then they take off, and they're racing, and then there's a wreck. And half the field's gone. And then wait for all that, and they take off, and there's another wreck, and then the other half's gone, and it's down to like six cars. And you get down to this last two laps. And I don't know the rules, but they have this overtime thing. So it should have been pretty exciting. And they rev up the cars, and they take off, and about ten seconds in, a crash. And they end the race the race on a caution, a yellow flag. And they just declared the guy who happened to be ahead when there were a couple laps left, the winner. And it was super lame, and I was bummed out. And I think they need to change their rules. But we talked a lot in my last podcast about serving, and it reminded me of those players we see on our clubs that have these big elaborate wind-ups in there flinging their arms and legs around and doing all this crazy stuff. And then when they actually get the strike of the ball, it pops in about six miles an hour high over the net and has absolutely nothing exciting about it. It's just giant buildup. And that's what that race reminded me of. And I was thinking about the serves because, again, I talked a lot about it last time and actually had some people listen and comment about it. So my serves group I've started at the WAC has been pretty interesting, pretty popular thanks to the members and thinking I know what I'm doing and has really allowed some players to improve fairly quickly in a low stress situation. There's no, I like it because there is no competition to it. There's nobody returning. There's no score. There's no stress of a drill or there's no stress on me as a coach having to rotate people and get certain people enough swings and enough exercise and the right matchups. It's just simply working on a skill, and I think it might be a a new way to do things. I'm considering offering programs every day that just focus on a shot. Forehands, volleys, you just half an hour each day. If you're struggling with something, you just come to that specifically instead of a general drill. Um, but anyway, my challenge is for for anybody that listens, especially the adults. I think juniors, we tend to do more serve practice because they haven't developed it yet and they kind of like it. But if you're in an adult group, a drill group with three, four, five, six people, I challenge you, ask your coach to practice serves and see what what they do. I know when people ask me, I'm I'm a little bit shocked because no one likes to do it. And it kind of kills the groove of it and see if they're interested or ask them to start a just a serves drill. Like I said, I would, 
if I built a club tomorrow, we would offer we would offer those things because I'm finding those individual, shorter term, less commitment because you can come and go as you please. Uh, it's a half an hour instead of committing to maybe 90 minutes. But ask your coach on your courts. Tell them, hey, we'd, we'd like to work on our surfs and see uh, see how that works because I'm finding some success in that and really a chance to get to know some players a little better because I'm not I'm not concerned about the management of the group as much as I might be with four to six other people on there. Um, and thinking about it too, some things that came up a lot this week back on the serves is there's certain things in your serve that I believe are constants. The the routine, how many times you bounce the ball, all the things you do pre-serve, taking your racket back, the pace at which you take it back, Many of those things are just, they do, I, I probably swing the same way I did now, do now when I was 18 or 19. And I think the fun part is teaching them what they get to control. As you, as a as the hitter, you get to control all the fun stuff. The speed, the spin, the depth, height, location, power. What are you going to do after it? Those are the fun things. So I like to tell people, you've got one serve that you can do multiple things off of. And if you keep that grip, you can do all kinds of cool stuff. So try to try to master the constants and work on the things you get to have some fun with and control. But set up the same way, have the same routines, all the boring stuff, and then start adding the details to it. So anyway, I just wanted to mention a little follow-up from the a couple of weeks ago, I'm doing these every couple of weeks, I suppose, sometimes more. But um, I am back in Annie's room. She's still gone, still deserted me. Um, but shockingly, as I mentioned in the last podcast, Annie, good job. She did listen to one of my podcasts. She actually knew some things and knew that I was talking about her. So thanks, Annie. That was cool for me to know you listened, even if you think your dad is uh, silly and talks about dumb stuff like tennis and pickleball. So my, um, let's get to Sunday. So Sunday, as many of you know, is my weigh-in day with um, my dad, my buddy Frika, my buddy Nish, and uh, my college coach Flamer. So I, I struggled a bit in the last couple of weeks and actually gained weight last week. And I was trying to figure out what the problem was because I'm... I'm in the middle of training for a half marathon in April, putting in some the most miles I've done in a long time this in the last six weeks or so. So exercise is not the issue. I'm on court. Um, my diet was less for sure. No soda, no desserts, all those kind of stuff. I passed the little Debbie aisle and pick and save, and I cry a little bit. Uh, someday I'll get back to that stuff. But but I was struggling because I kept I was gaining, and so. Thanks to my my son Ben, who is a he's a workout dude, spends his days in the gym, and he's learned about this nutrition stuff. And he got me on this app where I actually track my calories, and we put in for my age, height, activity level, how many calories I could have to lose a pound a week, and it was something around twenty two hundred. And I've realized in the last week that I was probably double that. So I spent the last week every day 
except for the first day I was over by like 40, under 2,200 calories a day. And I realized, man, I was so much more than that. And here's my problems. I was miserable. I was hungry all week. I got sick for the first time in a long time. Cough, cold, congestion, sore throat, just not feeling good. My sleep problems came back. Really struggled with sleep. But it worked. So in this past week doing that for seven days, I dropped 2.6 pounds. My biggest loss sin. I'm, I'm down seven, seven and a half pounds since we started this five or six weeks ago. So it worked. But I've got to find another way because I can't be hungry all day long. So I'm looking for advice. Like my friend um, Amy, who I had coffee with this morning. Thanks, Amy. That was fun. We both do not like vegetables. Anything green, ugh, can't, I can't do it. But I think I need to add to my weekly, if I'm going to watch my calories, some vegetable that I can eat. So if you have any good, I like things like the the usual, I call them Thanksgiving vegetables. Green beans, corn, and maybe some carrots. They're orange, so I could probably handle those. Um, fruit I'm good with a little more in the summer, but I think I need to add some of that. But if anybody's got any tips for that stuff, something I could have. This week I did like um, half a bagel with peanut butter was my lunch almost every day. So I skipped like a big meal, which I would usually try to have to get me through the evening hours. Um, went to bed hungry multiple times. And, um, but anyway, it worked. So I'm, I'm feeling better. And, but I do attribute my miserableness and my sickness and my sleep issues to not eating enough and I need to go back, but, um, I'm going to, I'm going to keep going a little bit and maybe back off a little bit and not be so, um, addictive. Like I have a, I have a problem with. So I mentioned the training for the race, April 28th. And I want to, um, just say Hey to my buddy niche who is training to do his first half marathon with us in Louisville. And that's a big deal. So keep it up, dude. And, uh, it's going to be great. And, uh, when you cross the line, we'll have some cold beer for you. Uh, they may run out of beer by the time you finish, but you know. Um, so last last time also I did my Netflix review of Breakpoint, the tennis one. I've got another one. Check out one. It's called Full Swing. It's very similar to the Breakpoint tennis documentary, except it's about the pro, the PGA, the golf, and I found it really good, similar to tennis, and what I thought is this the loneliness of these these individual players trying to make it big and make careers and how difficult it is to make any money and survive and the competition how fierce it is but it's really interesting I don't think you have to be a golf fan I think tennis players would enjoy it it's it's similar um Similar stories about picking individuals. It has to have been created or directed by the same people because it's very, very, very close. But if you're a golf fan, you'll really like it. If you're just a sports person in general, it's a great way to sort of see how these these golfers 
survive and make it through and how they play two days and don't make the cut. They don't make any money. Very similar to tennis players. It's almost impossible to do it. And how they just need one, one good swing, one good match, one round, and they can go from nothing to uh sports center the next day and their lives are changed. But check it out. If you're a sports person, I, th- I think you'll, I think you'll like it. I wanted to update to um, last time I talked a little about pickleball and how the, the pickleball powers came out with this massive number that they have 35 million new pickleball players in the last year. And I mentioned that I didn't believe it and I still don't. So I had the, uh, I get to talk with some people higher up in the tennis and pickleball worlds through my pickleball certification coaching thing that I do. I get to travel around and and see a lot of people and I'm in on some meetings. And anyway, it was what I thought the higher ups who are involved in these discussions basically told us that that true number is really between five and 7 million, not 35. And that the actual study that came up with 35 million only talked with talked with i don't know if it's probably email or a survey 1200 people is all they they interacted with and somehow out of getting information from 1200 people they did the math that that equals 35 million people and multiple people in the business have said that's insane that is not it at all and I found out that that study was commissioned and paid for by the APA, which I or APPA, I think it's the uh, Association of Pickleball in America or American Pickleball Association, or I don't know, but you know, it's something like that. So they paid for this, so they're obviously going to come out. It's no different than if the USTA paid for a survey or a commission. I guarantee those numbers are going to come out pretty big. And it's still growing, but it's not nearly the rate that you're hearing. And tennis, it's by far still the king. It's been around forever. We have the resources and the coaches and far more players. So every time I'm getting, I think some of us may be getting tired of every single player in pickleball telling us it's the world's fastest sport or America's. That's great, but it's it's going to slow down, and there's going to be something else. And I think it's awesome, and I pl- I love to play it and teach it. But I'd say tennis players don't be freaked out by those those numbers because they're not they're not accurate. I'm going to do a study of me whether I'm the greatest coach ever, and I'm going to ask six people and see if I can come up with um, 35 million people believe that I'm the greatest coach ever. That's going to be my next podcast is working the math out because math is where I'm at. Um, So one thing I wanted to mention last time and I forgot is that I officially have multiple tennis victories in my career over a baseball hall of famer. So if you watch baseball at all, they announced the Hall of Fame for this coming year who got in. And there's a player who played for the Cardinals, Phillies. Those are the main two. His name's Scott Rowland. And he has officially been inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Won a World Series with the Cardinals. Maybe two. And obviously, great player. 
Well, Scott Rowland and I are same age. And I went to Vincennes Lincoln High School in southern Indiana, Vincennes, Indiana. Small town, um, great tennis program. I've talked about it before. I, I just got extremely lucky with the group of players and people around me. And Anyway, small town, but great tennis. And his town was about, I don't know, an hour from us, Jasper, Indiana, and they were a serious tennis town. They were always the best and kicked our butt for years until my class came in. So our biggest rivals, we hated Jasper's guts. I still do. Um, great battles with them, and coaches didn't like each other, and players didn't like each other, and parents didn't like each other, and it was awesome, and I wish the world would get back to those things where we can be that competitive and not end up in prison or jail or get in fights because that only happened once with us. But anyway, I played Scott Rowland probably five, six times. He played one double, so did I, and they were the we were the two best teams. We were in our conference. So we played our regular season, we played the conference tournament, and then we played again in our sectional or subsectional and never lost. And the dude was a stud athlete, um, kind of kid, I think, if he wasn't a baseball player, he could have been a beast tennis player. But he was a great tennis player because just being an incredible athlete and competitor. And um, I don't recall ever having any any issues with him personally other than just he played for the team that was on our way of winning a conference or going to state or whatever it was. We played him on the first court every year, and it was the biggest match of the season. And they were always close, close two sets, three sets, Um but anyway, I actually I have a victory over over Scott Rowland, so there is no chance ever he'll listen to this. I think he would probably remember me and my partner because it was pretty fierce back in those days. If I remember it, I think he would. Um, but congrats to him and to me because I basically should be in the Hall of Fame now because I think the rule is if you've beaten a Hall of Famer in any sport, you're automatically in. So I plan to have my... Um, what do they call it when they put your head on the in gold or bronze? I'm gonna go gold because I think it's cooler and heavier. But anyway, that's my that's my Scott Rowland story. And talking about sports, if you watch the Super Bowl at all, so I, I've become I I think I might have a potential gambling problem. I was able to go visit my parents and hang out with my my brother, my dad, Benny, Madison, Tristan, May, all the the family was there and. You can gamble online on my phone in Michigan. So we're watching the game and the whole time making bets, and Benny and I are making bets. And They're small, but got my butt kicked. I clearly don't know anything about gambling. And I can can 100% see how somebody could get caught up in that world because it's so easy. Let's just click this and place, put three bucks on that and five bucks on that and let's try this and before you know it, you're down a hundred bucks and you're like, what just happened to me? So I may need someone to, um, call that gambling hotline for me at some point, but I'd love to hear what you all thought of the halftime show. If you watched it, I would know, I wouldn't have known Rihanna if she took a tennis lesson from me. That's how out I am of music. If it wasn't nineties, eighties or nineties, I'm probably not aware of it. So I thought it looked amazing for about a minute and a half. The platforms, the dancers, all that looks really cool on TV. And then 
That's what I thought. It never changed. I kept waiting for something else to happen or the colors to change or someone else to come out and change the vibe a little bit. And it was just the exact same thing over and over and over. And I lost my interest. I'm dating myself probably. I just sound like old man. But uh, my I would have loved Chris Stapleton to do the whole show because if you saw his national anthem, that's more my style. There's some serious talent there, and he nailed it. And They should have put Stapleton up there with Rihanna and done a little hip-hop country mix. That probably wouldn't work. So um, I do have one tennis thing because if you've already gone – Yes, I usually do wrap it up with some tennis. So I did a couple things this week with groups. And generally I'm teaching, I teach a lot of groups of three, four players, a lot of primarily double stuff. Um, and I'm always trying to figure out how players are judging themselves. And if you're ever on court with me, I'm constantly saying, I'm not judging you yet. It hasn't started yet. This is figure out if we're any good today. What did you bring in, in your toolbox? And the judgment comes at some point when we attach a score to it. We've talked about that on this podcast. So I had one group this week and I did it across multiple groups after a pretty good, I gave a, I'd say it was a 90 minute group, a good 30 minutes of active hitting, warming up point play competition, no score, just a general cover everything in 30 minutes. I got the group together and asked, all right, tell me, pick one thing that each one of you are struggling with. And now I'm telling you this because they didn't struggle. It was a really good start. I felt good about it. I really didn't have any issues with it. Um, I, I was feeling like, all right, it's a good start. Let's, let's see if we can maintain this for the next hour. And I had one person tell me that the backhand was the problem. And it was immediately followed up by, well, I only hit one. And I had to stop this player and say, what? You you chose your backhand, but you just told me you only hit one in the entire time. How, how can it be your backhand when you've only hit one? Because she was searching. And a lot of people search for something. And I would have loved the answer from all of them to be, not much, coach. I think we had a pretty good start. Let's see. Let's, let's maintain this and, and improve upon this and see how we can add strategy to our skills. Uh, but most, they, they search. If you're playing well, feel all right about it. Don't search for the bad. Just accept it. It's rare to play to play great tennis. But um, also this player's forehand is beastly. Um, so backhand could be, uh, in this case, the backhand could be trash the entire match. I don't care because we're going to win this on your forehand. And I like to, as you know, keep things in perspective um, so I had another group similar, probably maybe, maybe a slightly different level. I asked the same question after a pretty good warm up. I got similar answers. One of them was, uh, my volleys are terrible. I don't have a volley. Got already like mentally checked out terrible volleys. So I had to ask which one forehand or backhand, what situations did you miss? What was the score? when you missed them where was your partner where were you and this player had no couldn't piece that together so consumed by the mistakes that wasn't able to be specific enough to 
understand where they were coming from and how to fix those individual things. So I flipped it around after that, and I asked the same group, tell me something you're good at. And guess what I got? Did you hear that? That was silence. I don't know if you can hear silence. That's a Seinfeld episode. I've heard I've heard people say, can you hear the silence? I don't think if, they, if it's silence, you can't hear it. You know there's no sound. But anyway, sorry, I get off topic quite a bit. None of them. None of them could tell me anything they had done well. They could all give me a list of stuff they messed up, but no idea what they were doing well. And I'm really working hard to try to be a better coach to get that out of people, to balance that. Because what a rough way to live when all you can do is say the negative things that happened to me today. I don't want to be around those people, right? You want to have something. Something's positive. It has to be. Um, I can remember the greatest match I ever played in my whole life. It was at... I was at French Lick, Indiana, playing in the region, I think we were region 4 at the time, maybe 12, for, for VU, Vincennes University. It was my second year, I was playing four singles, and we were in a battle with, I think it was a school from Michigan, maybe, I might have that wrong, to to win our region and go to Texas for nationals. And we had, coaches' teams go to nationals every year for like 735 years. And we were expected to win. Um... We got moved indoors, had to drive an hour and a half, kind of disruptive, and for whatever reason, I got on the court and I played the greatest match I've ever played in my life. I believe there's no way I could have played better. There's nothing else I could have done. I remember coach being on, because in college, your coach can talk to you during, and he's next to me almost the whole time, and I knew that, and my match happened to be the one that sent us to Texas. It clinched the team win. And there's nothing else I could do about it. I can, I cannot tell you what my worst match ever was. There's too many. I can't pick one out. I can pick out multiple great ones, big wins, things that sent us to the state tournament, things that won uh, a tournament, a conference, things like that. Um, but I, I'm telling you, I can't tell you anything. My worst losses. I can tell you my worst beating. I lost 6-0-6-0 in the finals at Nationals as the number one seed. That doesn't bother me because it wasn't close. I was the one seed. He was the two. He beat me 0-0 in about 42 seconds, and I had no chance. It wasn't, it wasn't a case of me playing poorly. It was a case of being completely mismatched and having a Hall of Fame coach that somehow got me the number one seed over this dude, and he just pummel me kid from australia but that's not a bad match i just i didn't i walked on the court without a chance to win i didn't know it but i knew pretty quickly um so i can't tell you uh, start the i think the lesson is just start thinking about did you do anything good like what's working for you versus going straight negative all the time and i'm not a super rainbows and unicorns type of dude uh, I fake it a lot that I am, but I'm really not. But I think all tennis players have that habit of listing off all the stuff they did wrong. But next time someone asks you how's you play, and you follow it up with, oh, my serve is terrible, follow it up with, but 
my forehand was pretty good or I played well with my partner or I made some good switches, I made some good decisions is it's just a better way it's a better way to go about things. So just keep it in perspective. It doesn't all suck. Sometimes there's sometimes there's good in the world. That's your life lesson today. There's good in the world. Alright. I'm looking at my uh my list here. I'm done. I got nothing. So thanks again, guys. Appreciate it. Again, you can always catch me on my Instagram, Facebook. A majority of this who listen to me have my cell number. You can find me at the WAC. Uh, if you got any comments, questions, or just want to make fun of me. Thanks for listening, and uh, I will talk to you later. See ya. Mm-hmm.